is a Woodside Church podcast. Well, it gives us uh, gives me huge pleasure to introduce our preacher this morning. If you don't know, uh, we actually are a family that uh, meets over two sites, one in Great Denham, one here in Putnam, uh, and uh, we have Tim and Catherine with us today. <laughs> Tim, Tim, Tim uh, leads the, the team in in Great Denham, and uh, Tim and Catherine have done an amazing job establishing that that site which is going strong, which is wonderful news, and Tim is here to preach to us. So let's welcome Tim Green. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so nice to be here with you. Uh, not that uh, we're, we're, of course, we're, we're missing folk in the other part of Woodside, uh, but we love you guys too. We're just thrilled to be here. We were excited when we had a date to come over. Uh, and uh, for us just to be with you, frankly, if we were just with you today, it would be a blessing. Um, and I'm trusting that what I have to share to you uh, is used by God uh, to speak to each of us as we continue this uh, amazing series through uh, 1 Peter. And as uh, we're here today, uh, things are going well over in uh, the West, and next month uh, have the privilege of handing over the leadership to Hudson and uh, looking forward to that. Many new people who've never regularly worshipped in this building feel so much a part of this church, Woodside Church. And uh, so it's not like another church, and it's, it's them and us. It's our church in two locations. And it's just been a thrill to see uh, that pick up again and the momentum grow and all that God's doing uh, amongst us as a church uh, across the town in more than one location. So we're looking again at uh, Living Strong. That's the title uh, for our series And we're looking at how this particular book helps us to be strong in the Lord, individually, but also as a church. And uh, it was a thrill the other day, wasn't it, to have um, Andrew Wilson with us a week ago last Friday. We were thrilled to be here, and it was great having people from both of the congregations here uh, and able to receive from that fantastically gifted man uh, and uh, just if you haven't heard it you must get onto I think it's on our website now you just all the links are there you just must get to hear Andrew uh, just talking about how the Bible came to us and how important it is how it truly is God's word and so forth it's absolutely brilliant so much history uh, so clearly explained how God breathed his word, uh, which has now become this that we understand as the Bible. And I I just, uh, regardless of the inadequacies of the preacher this morning, (laughs) I trust that we, I just feel God wants to do some heart surgery, basically, for us as individuals and for us as a church, as a congregation. And this is what it says, and I'm not preaching from this, but I just want to read to you Hebrews 4.12, where it says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper 
than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now God's taken me, and I've had a little conversation with God through the cutting room floor with this preach. Because there are some verses I would love to explain that I'm not going to have time to explain. But I really feel that the things that we're going to look at are things that God wants to use his word to further shape us, equip us, and mobilize us for the days ahead. And so with that in mind, we look back at chapter 2. Let me just remind you, we're looking today at a new community. We're looking at 1 Peter 4 and selected verses from verses 1 to 11. But we saw when a few weeks ago we looked at chapter 2 that a wonderful picture of the church Living stones being built together. You're a chosen people, royal priests, holy nation, God's own possession. You can show others the goodness of God. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are the people of God. Now it all sounds great. And now Peter drills down to show us what this new community, the church, looks like in everyday church life. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 3. We'll start there. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. And this is the verse I'm going to particularly first concentrate on. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. So the first thing I just feel that God wants to bring to us, and that uh, we'll see in this particular, uh, verse 2 in particular, is that we are a new community anxious to do the will of God. Doesn't mean we're whittling away with worry, but you know what anxiety does. You can't stop thinking about the thing that you're worried about. And what we see here is Paul is saying that you used to go after your own desires, but now you are a company of people who all the time in your mind whittling away is, I want to please the Lord. We're here to do the will of God. We're here to be used by him to see his kingdom extended in our generation and in our time. And that is the mentality that Peter is expressing and exhorting the churches that he's writing to in his generation to actually have He's saying, now you will be anxious uh, to do the will of God. Now just imagine two types of church for a minute. One over here, where everybody in that church all week is following their own desires and really not looking 
any different to anybody else who doesn't believe in Christ. Then they gather on a Sunday and suddenly they're all getting themselves, you know, in a mode for worship and they're worshipping, they're hearing a preach and, you know, having a coffee together and then they go home and that's it. And then imagine another church over here which combined are anxious to do God's will. And they've been seeking first God's kingdom all through the week in the workplace, in the family, in the neighborhood, in whatever sphere of influence they find themselves. And when they gather, the church just continues. It doesn't start because they're bringing to God with thanksgiving and testimony what he has been doing all week and they're ready to be equipped further to go and carry on doing his will. Church A or Church B, which one is it? Now, Church A often has a few keenies who are doing the very thing that we're talking about. But God wants whole church, everyone, to be in a place where we're anxious to do the will of God. I believe that's the sort of church that we are. But we need to keep looking in the mirror and we need to keep checking ourselves somewhat sometimes to see if what we think is right is absolutely where we're going it doesn't make us perfect it just makes us a people who are anxious to do God's will and to make adjustments as we seek to do so sold out for Christ now Peter is saying to the people he's writing to but also to us therefore turn from how you used to live And single-mindedly seek to please God and live for him from now on in every setting you find yourself in within life. Regardless of the possible reaction that you get from those who do not yet know Jesus. And whose own lifestyle in the mirror of yours is threatened even if it means sacrifice and suffering, which is exactly Peter's saying is how Jesus lived. Now, we all know what it's like when you make a conscious decision to do something which is going to be of benefit, but at the same time, there's going to be a little bit of cost to it. I mean, those of you, and I've never done it, and you can probably see that I've never done it, but who signed up for the gym, all right. If I could have Luke here right now, then he would prove uh, to, to the sort of man that he would be. But sign up for the gym. Now, you know, when you sign up for the gym, that for those of you who have done, that you're ready for some serious exercise and potential pain. But you are motivated by the gain that you'll gain in strength, fitness and health. Now, for those of us who are part of a local church such as this, it's a bit similar. We've signed up for something, not physically, but in our hearts and our actions. We're ready for some serious action and potential suffering, but we're motivated by the glory of God. 
And that's where Peter's getting to in this particular passage. Peter knew what this was like from walking with Jesus for three years himself. You see, this person who wrote this book is one of the disciples, one of the three, Peter, James and John, who were the closest to Jesus in, as we read through the Gospels. Peter knew what Jesus looked like. The shade of his hair, the appearance of his face, the smell when you were close to him. He knew the tone of his voice. He was close to him. And there was a day when he heard him say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up his cross and follow me. And when, Peter first, when Jesus first called him, he heard that voice on the Sea of Galilee, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what we've been called to do, to be fishers of men. Diane's word was so helpful there. And then it gets to the point where, Jesus, uh, where Peter, three years later, messes up hugely. And you imagine someone who's walked with God and then they're saying, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I'm not even a follower of Jesus anymore. You imagine someone who's a close friend of yours and they start saying that. I'm not going there anymore. I'm, I'm, I've, had, I've had with it. And your heart, you feel, gracious me, what a shock. That's exactly what Peter did when he said, I don't even know the man. While Jesus was in the time of greatest suffering and greatest need. But Jesus graciously, after his resurrection, walks with Peter on that same shore of Galilee that he called him in the first place and reinstated him by three, uh, three times, asking him the quest, question, do you love me, Peter? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he commissions him, feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. The same words he said at the very beginning. There may be some even here this morning. And as you're considering your life right now, you're thinking, there's more to disqualify me from following Jesus than there is to qualify me. But right now, let me encourage you to look at the very author of this book, Peter, through whom the Holy Spirit breathed in order to give us these words and recognize that you can again be anxious to do the will of God and for the whole of your life start pursuing him like Peter from that point onwards did and fulfill the purpose of God that he has in your life in just the same way. That's our God of grace. That's the God who forgives us. That's the God who gives us a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. Aren't you glad he's a God like that? Amen. That's why we're anxious to do his will. Because he has come and changed everything for us. I wonder if we can just pause a moment. And just respond to this particular point. Father, we just come before you.
Lord, just expose anything if there's an area of my life where I'm still living more like I did in my old life rather than in the new. If you need to ask forgiveness, ask forgiveness. Is the determination to do God's will in life a little blurred right now? Is an opportunity to ask forgiveness and tell him again, Lord, I am anxious to do your will in my life. To echo what Jesus prayed when Peter was fast asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not what I want. It's what you want, Father, that really matters. I surrender again to your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the second thing here that we see in this passage is a new, the church is a new community knowing that the end of the world is coming. Let's just read the verses from verses 7 down to 9. The end of the world is coming soon. Now let me comment here. This was nearly 2,000 years ago. It was around about the AD 60s that Peter wrote this. And the early church were expecting Jesus to return soon. Book of Revelation, Jesus said, I am coming soon. Peter, in his second letter, we're not looking at that one, but chapter 3 of that second letter says, the Lord's not slow concerning his promise about returning, about the end of this current world and the new world, the new heavens and new earth coming into being and us having resurrected bodies and living with him forever. We, he's not slow about that. For the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And then he gives us the reason. He says this, that the Lord is being patient, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. Why hasn't the end of the world come yet? Because there are more yet to be saved. And we are a part of the message and, and also the messengers to see his kingdom come into many more people's lives yet. But the end of the world is coming soon. That's what the scripture says. Therefore, says Peter, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Peter is saying, make your lives count now. The imminence of the end of the world should function as a stimulus for actions in this world while while there is still time. Now if you look at those words there, all the words that we're seeing, firstly we saw anxious to do God's will, now we're seeing be earnest and disciplined in prayer. Um, And uh, I don't know about you, but when I'm the most anxious is when there's a time limit and I don't feel like I've got enough time. I mean that's my biggest source of anxiety if I'm honest. You know, like getting a preach ready or something else or whatever it happens to be. If you're just doing an exam and you feel, if only I had another week to revise. 
Um, or if you, you know, you, you're going on holiday and you think, oh, I've still got so much to do at work and how can I cram it all in? Suddenly you get very focused. That's what Peter's saying here. Whenever the Lord comes, we do not know. But act as if he's coming very soon. Have that urgency, have that earnestness, have that focus. Because that is what motivates us into action. Now some might expect that Peter would say something like this. He'd say, well, you know, the end of the world's coming soon, so go up a mountain and wait for it to happen. Or go into a cellar, get all the food you ma- and all the supplies you need and make sure your torch has got plenty of batteries and wait. Or go to Jerusalem and start singing worship songs and wait for it to happen. He doesn't say any of those things. What he says is, so be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Wow. That's what he says to do. That's how uh, you get ready. And it's interesting that uh, uh, when we see that, and it's for us as a church, we are feeling an urgency and an earnestness freshly to be disciplined in our corporate prayer. Which is why, and I meant to have a little, one of those little prayer cards, and make sure if you haven't had one last week that you get one and take it away with you. Um, we are literally next month providing a means by which we can pray together pretty much every week in one way or another. And Peter is saying, be earnest. Be ready. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, I don't know about you. Someone already mentioned 24-hour prayer today. But it has been a huge blessing to Catherine and I. We pray once a month, you know, in the time that we uh, decide to pray, um, in a time that we probably wouldn't have otherwise prayed. We do pray together, pray together regularly, but not quite like that where you set aside an hour. And the willingness and the discipline of doing it has made a huge difference this last two years. So thankful to God for video, for feeling God leader as he did uh, to start that. You see, there's something about earnestness and discipline that makes it happen. And the discipline of actually having opportunities to turn up 7.30, you know, uh, a, a certain day uh, for here, second Sunday of the month, uh, and to pray with others, you think, well, I could be watching Call the Midwife, or I could be doing this, that, and the other. You know, all the questions. I need to be getting ready for, you know, for work the next day, or, oh, it's been a long day, you know, and ill-prepared. There is a discipline about it, but I bet your bottom dollar, if you go home at the end of it, because you've been, you'll be glad you went. And that's how we feel after 24 hour prayer, you know, just uh, praying for, for an hour for 24 hour prayer. There's an earnestness, but we also need the discipline. Do we get that? Monday morning, Tuesday early with Luke, 6 a.m. <laughs> Whenever it is, and other occasions too with your community group, with friends, whatever, there is an earnestness and a discipline. Why? Because the time is short. And we really need to be praying for, for, the, for the hand of God to be upon his people. We need to be praying for the nations. Praying for situations like Ukraine and the Russia situation. And calling upon God for breakthrough and for peace. And for his kingdom to come. 
praying for hundreds of thousands and millions yet to return to Christ before he returns. Praying for physical healing and miracles to happen which astound communities, villages, towns, nations and cause them to turn to the living God. Praying for preachers and teachers to be standing in the gap and proclaiming the word of the Lord as it should be. Praying that our society and culture doesn't slip in a direction away from God but turns around and is arrested again by the love and grace of God. There is an urgency because the end of the world is coming and Jesus is returning. He's coming for a bride which includes us. And in the midst of all of that, it's time to be earnest and it's time to be disciplined and it's time to go for God in prayer. And then Peter says, and this may surprise you, he says this, he says, most important of all. What I've just said isn't the most important thing. He says, most important of all is continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, continue to show deep love for, uh, for each other. Peter would have heard, and he would have heard the tone of voice, and even when he's penning these words, he no doubt would have been hearing in his memory Jesus say these very words, because he was there when Jesus said it, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And how did Jesus do it? He laid down his life for his friends. Now, we're never commanded in the same way. He didn't say, a new commandment I give to you, pray. That's just what we do. But he did command us to love one another. And Peter says, most important of all, love one another deeply. And then he goes on to give two practical ways in which we do that. The first is, love covers a multitude of sins, which is forgiveness. Anybody is perfect, please stand now. Anybody who never makes a mistake, offends anybody... Does anything that never upsets anybody, please stand up now. (laughs) We all need forgiveness from God and from one another. And that is how we show that deep love for each other. Because we love each other, we have been commanded to do so. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And then secondly, he talks about hospitality. He says, open your homes. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And as we open our homes where possible, where it's practical, where there's a potential for us to be able to do that, Peter is saying, do it. 
I loved hearing when Paul was praying for Paul and Rebecca and in his prayer, we've had you in our homes, we've had meals together and we've, we've just enjoyed those times. I love a quote that is from uh, the Bible Speaks Today uh, on this particular passage where it says this, and let me show it to you. The fellowship of Christians in the setting of the home has a quality that can be duplicated nowhere else. I like that, don't you? There is something about it when you have other Christian believers in your home and you just fellowship together. Informally, nothing necessarily even on the agenda, but you're just together with God in the centre. It's not just community group, it's in the homes. You see, we're not a house church, but we are a church in many houses. And what Peter's saying, forgive one another and be a church in many houses. Fellowship together. Enjoy being together. Because there's nothing that compares with that. You just feel like you're friends. You get to know each other as you cross the threshold. You feel like you belong together. You're familiar with each other's ways. There is so much I could elaborate on and don't have time on on this. But it's so important. Now if you have a church which is anxious to do the will of God corporately, who is then recognising that we have one opportunity in our generation and it's now, whether or not Jesus comes again in our generation or not, this is our moment to count for Christ in the world, anxious to do the will of God. And then in addition to that, we're able to uh, live a life uh, of love for one another, extending hospitality and forgiving one another, and earnest and disciplined in prayer. I believe the sky's the limit for what God can do and what he might do in and through us. Amen? Now, I've got another section I haven't even got time to bring. You can read the chap, that passage for yourself. 1 Peter 3, uh, 4, sorry, 1 to 11. But can I ask us to stand right now? First of all, let's just respond to this whole section about prayer and love for one another. Let's just respond. Time to reflect. Where am I at in terms of my earnestness and discipline in my prayer life? Am I haphazard? Do I procrastinate? Is it just now and then, here and there? Or is it determined seeking of God and determined praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? in every form that God lays in your heart to bring. Can I encourage you to make a decision now, either to continue in what you're doing, because that's how you're living, or to ask for God's strength and his help to live in the good of this exhortation that Peter brings. Thank you, Lord.
What about my view of church? Everybody else in the church? Willingness to forgive. Willingness to lay down my life, to open my home, to have others round, to increase the fellowship beyond the coffee time at the end of a meeting like this, to something that becomes a regular feature of your life, your family's life, in your home and in other homes, enjoying the kingdom and the presence of God in his presence, as we've heard in the worship, there's fullness of joy in every aspect of your life, including one with another, informally, in our homes, praising God, maybe even breaking bread together, just, just being together, not, even, not being religious, just being the people of God amongst one another. There's forgiveness needed, hardness of heart, anything else, just come to God. And then we'll just pray generally, but I'll just leave a pause there. Amen. Not quite finished. If we were in the 1980s, right now, which we're not, I would ask the band to come back and sing a song, which I'm not going to do. And I'll tell you which one. It would be one of two. It would either be, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Some of you remember that. Or, and this is the one I would choose, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. And for those of you who've never heard it before, I want to use this as a bit of a prayer. Let's be before God right now. This is how it goes. Lord, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight to do your will. I want to build with silver and gold in my generation. I want to build with silver and gold while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight to do your will. I want to see the kingdom of God in my generation. I want to see the kingdom of God while I am alive. I want to live my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. What is on your heart, Lord? Show me what to do. Let me know your will and I will follow you. I want to see the Lord come again in my generation. I want to see the Lord come again while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. Oh God, receive our hearts today. Do some surgery. Do some trimming. (laughs) Do some motivating. Do some empowering. Do some energizing, we pray. Create some focus in our spiritual eyesight and help us to run after you and with you. With all of our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.